Welcome to the RCA VizCon podcast. We're sponsored by Memory Foam Mattresses. Use the offer code RCA for 20% off. Don't or forget, we use space age technology. That's what do. astronauts use. Right, so sorry about that. That was, a, that was actually a very good illustration of one of the themes of uh, Lecture 6, Transmission 6 in the Bright Labyrinth series, which was called Darkness is Good. And one of the uh, concerns that I was trying to address in the talk, and I'm, I'm talking both personally in terms of my own practice, but also as a, as a tutor, um, is the way in which it seems to me the, the um, extreme right, the fascist right, what, what I call the, the you know, corporate fascists, um, have, have appropriated the, 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 the kind of techniques and methods of the uh, modernist avant-garde of the 20th century. Uh, the use of shock, the use of surprise, the, the deliberate attempts to, to, to use an old uh, French term, épater les bourgeois, this idea of sending up the liberal middle, middle ground. And so the, 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 the lecture's title was taken from uh, a statement made by Steve Bannon, uh, Trump's uh, second um, campaign manager, um, the one that wasn't dealing with the Ukrainian uh, <laughs> Ukrainian money deletes that we know. <laughs> um, but anyway, he, he was interviewed by, of all things, a Hollywood reporter, and he came out with this statement, and I was really surprised at the time that more people didn't pick up on it, although there was all kinds of madness at the time. But it basically said, darkness is good. Um, Dick Cheney, Darth Vader, Satan, that's power. Um, you know, what he was arguing is that these, these kind of um, bogeys, these kind of nightmares uh, that exist in pop culture, in, in, in popular myth, uh, in, in liberal headlines, um, they can be used to trigger the liberals, the, the, the mainstream media. And while they're so busy clutching their pearls over these references, um, they are able to sort of carry on with their agenda uh, unnoticed, unexamined. And, and it seems to me that the, what he's saying and what he's reflecting is very much the, 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 the pathology of the modernist avant-garde in the early 20th century. Um, that, that shock not only um, destabilizes a, a cultural society, maybe only temporarily, um, but it also, and I think more importantly, keeps the establishment on a back foot so they're not able to read what you're doing clearly. Uh, it gives you a certain uh, distance, a certain opacity uh, towards the mainstream, which I think can be very, very important for uh, a creative practice, for a communication practice. Particularly, you know, if, if we see that practice as being about liberation and equality and, and, and empowerment. And so it was really like, how come these techniques have suddenly started to be used by, you know, I'm going to use the word again, fascists, basically, where they want to hurt people. They definitely want to hurt people, not liberate them. Um, so I've, I definitely felt a, a, an urgency about about discussing this this issue, and it does deal with issues of fake news and you know a term which we we kicked rather 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 savagely in the <laughs> in the in the in the interrogation post truth, like what that means and what's carried with it. So that that was really the basis for it. What, how has this been co-opted? What can we do about it? What, what can we do to, to um, as it were, retaliate to, to regain our autonomy? Do you want me to keep talking? We can cut the silence bit out. Yeah. Well, well actually, we can use the silence to introduce Richard Wilkins. Hello. Uh, who, a former uh, RCA student, 
um, who very kindly stepped in at the last minute to be the guest interrogator. I couldn't be happier. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the even afterwards. Yeah, even afterwards. We had fun. We did. We did indeed. And, and there was, I think there was a lot of really interesting dialogue going on, particularly about issues of um, media politics. The idea that quite often the media sphere's influence is not immediately detectable. You know, I think that was raised as a concern is, you know, if, if we're constantly being bombarded by these images, which, as it, which quite often carry not necessarily a subliminal message, but quite often carry echoes of other images within them, uh, which can have a triggering effect, both positive and negative. What, how are we aware, how can we make ourselves aware of these triggers and respond to them? And um, I used the, um, the analogy, which I really like, from um, Marshall McLuhan, where he, he talked about how we inhabit a, a, a kind of media environment which works on us without us really fully acknowledging that it's doing that. And that it's the role of the artist, for which I would substitute the word uh, communication practitioner, it's our role to establish what he called an anti-environment, which is something that stands in opposition to or critiques or intervenes in this sort of seamless whole of, of the media sphere. And maybe for a brief moment uh, offers people an opportunity, a chance to look in and see the, you know, see the workings, see the gears, see what's actually happening. And, and, I, and I, I was arguing quite forcefully uh, that I thought this was a very important role for us as, as communication practitioners, you know, above and beyond our professional concerns and responsibilities, there was this particular um, thrust to what we can be doing. You're nodding your head. Mm. Yeah, I think that you're doing a very good job of <laughs> kind of summarising what happened in the talk. I seem to be interviewing myself, really. Don't yeah, you? it's going quite well. Yeah, I think that. I think I'm. I think I'm being very fair with myself. It's overall. it's very balanced. Mm. Um, surprisingly so. That's because I'm lying on the floor. So yeah, we are sitting on the floor currently. Yeah, uh, we're reclining. Of 332. Yeah, uh, it's, a kind of, it's a kind of 21st century version of Déjeuner sur l'herbe with Liu uh, as, the, as the third party in our group. <laughs> I am actually the gracefully reclining nude uh, with the picnic basket. Um, and I'm meditating. And you are indeed meditating, and you are in half lotus. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> I think that you traced... Um, I mean, we were looking at, or today you were looking at this sort of post-truth condition. I don't know what I want to say, but it's like a, whatever BuzzFeed term might be applied on top of this deeply complex situation that we maybe find ourselves in. You traced it back to sort of the psychological warfare of maybe the 50s or the 40s. Yeah. Hmm. And I thought that was an interesting line that you brought forward from history, the sort of bringing Sputnik hmm. as like an act of, well, as, as, as a psyop. Hmm. And then looking at that in conjunction with I don't know what was going on. Yeah, I guess what you were just talking about. I think it was, yeah, I mean, I, I'm fascinated by this moment when, when uh, Korolev, the great engineer, the great Soviet designer for the, the, um, the Russian initiative into space, shows the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, 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 the upper echelons of the, of the Communist Party in, in, in Russia with um, Khrushchev and uh, his immediate followers. And he, he shows them this massive rocket. And they're thrilled by this huge rocket because they can see the, the potential as a weapon. They can see that this can deliver big explosive payloads um, into the West. And, and he says, yeah, but wait until you see this. And he shows them Sputnik. And he's more excited about Sputnik than he is about this, this massive rocket. And of course, they don't get it. They can't, you know, they can't see how actually Sputnik is the more powerful weapon 
um, because it is a, as you say, it's a psyops weapon. Sputnik did nothing; it beeped. That was the <laughs> that was the fullest extent of its activity. It beeped, and you could pick it up on shortwave. If you were really lucky, you could just about make it out in the sky. Um, and of course, you know there were, uh, particularly in, in the Soviet Union, and I think in China, there were Sputnik watching parties where people go out on a summer night and see if they could spot Sputnik going overhead. The reason why they could see it, and I love it, I love this detail, the reason why they could see it is because part of the nose cone hadn't actually fallen off. <laughs> so it still had part of the end of the rocket still stuck on the end. Um, so it was bigger and it was more reflexive. It was more reflective. Um, but I think what was great is that Korolev saw that the design of this thing was really important. It looks alien. It was designed to look alien. It's spherical with these long whip-like antennae coming out of the back. It looks dynamic, futuristic. It looks as though, not so much it went into outer space, it looks as though it came from outer space. And I think a lot of this was, when I use the word deliberate, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm always conscious of the fact that sometimes we are unconsciously, subconsciously influenced by our times. So it might be too great a claim for Korolev's genius to say that he absolutely saw that this would be the impact that Sputnik would but have. I think we can take take a lot from it though as in being in visual communication mm. in British art education it's very we're, I think we're maybe one of the quickest of the uh, international visual communication mm. education mm. committees to disregard aesthetics yes. and say there's nothing inherently political about how things look but I think that's a fantastic example of how that is absolutely the case. Mm. Absolutely scared the hell out of the way. Um, it's horrible looking isn't it? It's kind of horrible and in a great way. Though. Yeah, it, it's. Um, I, I mean, I, I, what's interesting is that Korolev designed it thinking that it would, or a model of it would be on public display, uh, and in and in the end, it was when the when the V&A did their big um, post Cold War modernism exhibition, which um, had people like David, you know, which was partly gra greatly curated by David Crowley of the RCA. I think the very first thing you saw was Sputnik over the entrance and um, it's actually quite small <laughs> it's about the size of a basketball and those whip-like antennae no. about three or four feet it's it's um, I suppose it's like and when you meet any great celebrity they're always a bit smaller <laughs> than, the, than you anticipate just a little bit duller um, but I, I still it's still a vivid impression in my mind of like wow Sputnik or at least a version of Sputnik um, but it was the fact that it's its impact bore no correlation to what it actually did or was capable of doing and it is the it is the moment you know it's the it's the shot heard around the world you know it is the start of the space race and when you consider that barely twelve years I mean twelve years have passed and from Sputnik to um, you know an, an American astronaut putting his putting his boot on the moon I think it's extraordinary you know I mean that model is still used uh, in in robotics and AI. You know, I, I've seen interviews where people talk about the Apollo moment or the Apollo mission, and they mean doing that kind of, that making that kind of technological leap in that kind of restricted time period. And it is ideological. It is part of a uh, an, an interplay of, of propaganda, if you will. You know, no matter how much they might spin the practical results of, well, Sputnik was about telemetry and measuring the, the Earth's surface, and, well, you know, we got non-stick frying pans from... <laughs> and, and pocket calculators from, from the Apollo mission. It was like, no, nah, we didn't really. The important thing was... Uh, ballpoint pens. Uh, not true. Uh, no. no, actually true. We did, but... Um, we'll get Snopes up. Yeah, no, this is one of those... There's a, there's a wonderful guy called Chris Welsh, who, who is the 
one of the directors at the International Space University, and there is this uh, hoary old story that um, the that NASA spent thousands developing a ballpoint pen that could work in zero gravity, uh, whereas the Russians just used a pencil. And he said, it's absolute nonsense. First of all, NASA didn't spend any of that money on developing a pen. They did develop a pen, but they did it with Parker. So there was, there was, there was a private funding initiative to develop this pen. Furthermore, no one in their right mind would use a pencil uh, in microgravity. Um, or the graphite. The graphite. You, want, you get that into your control board. <laughs> it shorts. You do not want that. Not, you know, not, not when you're sort of you know, in, the, in, in low Earth orbit. You really don't. Um, so just one of those um, pieces of fake news that goes around. Um, As with all good fake news, it's normally emailed to you by an older female relative. Really? Like I'm your grandma. That's yeah. always my grandma. Oh, well, all, my, all, my, all my older female relatives are dead. So, um. so I don't know what I said. I think I was thinking of grandma when I said older female relative, but I'm sure there's been even more worse stuff sent mm. by older male relatives. Mm. Um, yeah, it's the kind of, yeah, it, it's kind of bar talk. Yeah, it's kind of it's a kind of two pints into the evening or (laughs) four o'clock in the morning at a party kind of conversation where someone starts saying that, you know, all the numbers of our code add up to six, six, six every single time. It's always six, six, six. (laughs) No more than Apple Mac died on 9-11. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Incidentally, meant to include it and it's worth mentioning now. uh, Apparently, apparently Google has dropped Don't Be Evil as their... No. Company motto. Oh yeah, no, they did. Yeah. yeah. Not not too long ago. Uh, very quiet. Bit late. Bit late. Also, I thought, what's the alternative? Do evil? <laughs> I think that like we're comfortable with evil. Uh, I think that we are evil. I don't know. They should have dropped that a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Almost it, immediately. Hmm. Um, but I, in a sense, it's it, I find it. Um, I'm not distressing uh, because I'm far too cynical for for that kind of um, sense of emotional loss or <laughs> devastation. But I mean, I did. I mean, in the I did want to end the transmission with something that was very positive um, and something that gave me hope. I gave I gave two or three examples of what gives me hope uh, in the 21st century in this in this age of. Darkness being so good, the oh. age of Darth Vader, and I thought, yeah, it was a nice link back to the beginning remarks about Darth Vader as well. Yes, um, the, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a reprise f- almost. Yeah, I, I, I have nothing but love and respect for uh, an eight-year-old girl called Izzy in the north of England who objected that um, she couldn't be Darth Vader because the Darth Vader costume was uh, exclusively for boys. It said on the packaging that it was for boys. And, and she said, but I want to be Darth Vader. There's no reason why I can't be Darth Vader. And so Disney's now actually changed the um, designation, so it just says for kids. And I really love these images of Izzy running around dressed as Darth, Darth Vader. And, and I, I sort of said that, you know, while there's probably many, many, many things that Izzy and I would not agree upon, um, I think the one thing we could agree on is that <coughs> there's something rather, I think it's a much more interesting, exciting, uh, humane world when girls like Izzy can be Darth Vader. I really do like that. Um, it, it seems like a small victory, a bit like the, the small victory of the guy who cancelled Donald Trump's Twitter account for a blissful 35 minutes. So it read, the real Don- at the real Donald Trump does not exist. You know, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a gesture. It shows it can be done. 
it shows that you know it, we do have a lot more power and we do have a lot more agency than we give ourselves credit for. And that's also why, although you questioned me a lot about it in the in the discussion, um, when I talked about this idea of forming unreadable communities, um, which is something I do believe in, um, that you know sometimes we don't fully acknowledge how much we have uh, within a within a space like the RCA in terms of diversity of view and opinion and experience, and that we do form a community. Uh, and the great thing is that it's not completely readable, it's not fully recognizable. Maybe we ourselves, it's so unreadable that sometimes we ourselves don't even realize that we're part of this community. Really? But sometimes we should just take a moment and reflect that you know we are a very, very powerful community of thinkers and practitioners. And, and you know there's, 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 there's cause for alarm but there's no cause for despair. And is that a good point to end on? It's a good point to end on. We are hitting 17 minutes just there. Well, that's a nice round Great. to 10 minutes. Goodbye. Seven. Uh, yes, goodbye to our listeners. Goodbye.